right, good morning. Happy snowy Sunday. Uh, so I was uh, putting my timeline together today, and I thought, ooh, this would be a great day for a pop quiz. And isn't it nice that Nicole is here? You know, she, she encourages this in me. I don't know. Um, you know, this is half the points for your final, so you better not screw it up. Uh, I thought what I would do is ask you, hopefully you've been listening and, and processing and, and thinking about what I've been saying. I want you to help me fill this timeline in. So <clears throat> what we'll do is we'll start at the left. This is open book. <laughs> open the whole Bible. The, yes, the but, you have, but you have three seconds, so uh, we'll see how fast you are. Um, I would like you to tell me where we're at, and I'm going to start with the very beginning of our timeline, 2000 BC, give or take. What is this era that we've referred to this as in the past? Patriarchs. 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 What did you say, Angela? What did you say? <laughs> I thought he said the Iron Age. Oh, okay. That's um, you know what? I, let's put that on there. We will get to that. There, that is on that. here. Yep. Bless your heart. We'll get to that. This is actually a different age. Probably the Bronze Age. This is the Bronze Age. Yeah, so okay. let me write that. I love you guys. Sticks I wasn't even going to go there. Sticks and rocks. Yeah. Well, sticks you know, it's kind of it. Yeah. You know, if you, if you think about it, this is the, <coughs> this is the Stone Age, so to speak. Uh, it's it's 3000 BC on, so there's Stone Age. Um, patriarchs. Who are the patriarchs? Abraham. Moses. Moses. Yeah, the fathers of what? Israel. Fathers of Israel, nation of Israel. Um, <clears throat> right around, I'd say, and, and this is kind of my early date based on certain evidence, around 1850 or so, a very significant event happens. What happens to the people of Israel around 1850 BC? That's the Exodus, isn't it? Ooh, where did they go first? They go into Egypt. They go into first. Egypt. So here is here is their entry into Egypt. So during this period, the people of the period of, of eighteen to fourteen fifty BC, the people of Israel are living in Egypt. This is supported by archaeological evidence, a numerous amounts of it. Um, Asiatics, Hyksos. They have various names in, in the Egyptian record. They are there, folks, and their houses are there. We see evidence of what's called a four-room Canaanite house is all over northern Egypt, and I haven't drawn my map. Maybe I'll make you do that, too. Uh, they're there, folks, and they're there for about 400 years. Then we get to the thing that you said, which is the Exodus. The Exodus. <clears throat> and, and what is the Exodus? When they... Leave. And they left Egypt to time when they so willingly out of slavery. Egypt. Yes, they left Egypt. And where did they go? They wandered in the for front. forty years. They wandered for forty years until what? Until when? Until get the new generation hmm? ready to go into the promised land. Hmm. So and all those people were gone, basically. The yep. stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of cleansing of yeah. of the slavery mindset, I suppose. They, 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 they recycle the generation, and, and a new generation enters the promised land that we call the land of Egypt, or Canaan, and thus begins a period of another 400 or so years that we call the what? The period of what? Judges. Judges. You guys have been listening. This is awesome. <laughs> Judges. Until we get to around 12, I'm sorry, around 1020 BC, give or take. It's probably 1040. I'm going to say 1020-ish. <clears throat> BC, what what is this? What is the signifying event of that that time right then? Ends the period of the judges. When Samuel S Saul is anointed first king. Yes, Saul is anointed the first king of Israel. Very good. Saul is their first king. <clears throat> he reigns for forty years. Ned, welcome back, brother. <laughs> I'm so glad you're here. I'm, I'm really glad to be here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hi. Welcome back. Absolutely. Hey, Nick. Good to see you, brother. No, it's good. Um. Time out for hugging. Yeah. Let's 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 take a let's take a two minute here. I'll, I'll gather my thoughts too. Welcome back. Hello. Hi, I'm Nicole. I'm Nick. Nice to meet you. We're just giving a pop quiz. Oh, yeah. So. Sweet. <laughs> That's sweet. Saul is the first king of Israel. 
What happens after Saul? <laughs> He's hugging everybody. I love this. I love this. It's a welcome party. You have now been hired as the welcome committee for adult Bible study. Uh, the pay is abysmal. I'm not going to lie. Um, You'll have one more. We can have more. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Who's the next king after Saul? David. And that's who we're talking about today. And, and we'll, just, we'll just fill in the rest. So right now we're talking around 1,000 B.C. David, the second anointed king of Israel, um, let's just fast forward and fill this out real quick. Something really important happens in 586 B.C. What is that to the nation of Judah? That would be the Babylonians coming and taking yep. them to Babylon. Excellent. The Babylonian exile. There's probably no other event that has affected the Jewish people more than the Babylonian exile. Um, much of what you're reading here today was either composed or it was edited and, and um, essentially finalized during and after the exile. So this had a huge impact on the Bible that we read today, the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. <clears throat> and then, of course, we get to around 1 BC or 4 BC, depending on your chronology. And what's the big event here? Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth is born. Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you guys get gold stars today. Very good. <clears throat> Let's talk about where we're at in the narrative. We're, we're at 2 Samuel 13, and I, and I kind of want to just real quick, 30 seconds. How did we get here? All of 1 Samuel and, and most of 2 Samuel is leading up to David, the, the king that we know as David. Um, David growing from a young man who's very brave, um, who is really kind of a nobody to start with, was anointed by God to be the king of Israel. And, and not just the king of Israel, but an archetype for something much bigger that will come later in Israel's history, who is Jesus of Nazareth. Um, God is preparing David to be a king that will be the king of kings, essentially. Um, a man after God's own heart, who kind of exemplifies all of the characteristics that God is looking for and admires in humans. Um, <clears throat> And with that, he is very well blessed. God and, and David share a very special relationship. Um, and David grows in his, in his ability to command, in his ability to love, in his ability uh, for religious, uh, um, <clears throat> uh, the institution of the religious uh, components of Israel. His relationship with God is really unmatched, but he is really kind of an archetype or kind of a model on which Jesus will be based later. And so he's kind of prepping the the Jewish people for who Jesus will be, um, their savior, their king, uh, later, hundreds of years later. Here's the issue. David is a human being. He is not Jesus of Nazareth. Um, He is not fully divine. He is fully human. And thus, he has all of the weaknesses that all of us have. And, and, and I just want to say this for your apologetics piece, that if you are making all of this up, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no reason on earth that you would include chapters 13 to the end of 2 Samuel. You won't. You won't include it. Why? It's she dark. Doesn't, she doesn't paint the last picture of the royal family. No. We have seen up till now... The, I, think, the, I think he's going back and, yep. and be like, is this really David's kid? Yeah. <coughs> David as a great king versus David as a human being. Now, with that being said, we have paint, we, we tend to paint David in a very uh, rosy picture. And if you're a Christian or you've been brought up in the church or you've read the Old Testament, um, you probably tend to err on the side of giving David the benefit of the doubt, right? And so when we say things like David wanted to build a temple to Yahweh in Jerusalem, you might be inclined to say because he just wanted to honor God. And that might be true. Um, <clears throat> what we tend to forget is that he's also a human who wants the same things a human wants, which is glory and honor and power. And, and for the most part, he tends to do a fairly good job of suppressing that, especially in his first half of his reign. We are now getting to the second half of his reign, and we're not too sure exactly when chapters 13 happened, but you can rest assured they're later in his reign. So <clears throat> it's probably getting towards the, you know, he's old, he's getting old, he's been reigning, uh, ruling as king for a while. That's when we get to chapters 13 and on, and I want you to just think about that as we read this. So 
Let's get into the word here, chapter 13. I'd ask for a volunteer. We'll get through that, and then I'll ask for your feedback. 1 through 39. Who would like to do that? I will. Thank you. Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. She was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab. He was the son of David's brother, Shemaiah. One day Jonadab said to Amnon, What's the trouble? Why should the son of a king look so, de so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you're ill. When your father comes to see him, see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feed you as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick, and when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please let my sister Tamar come and cook my favorite dish as I watch, then I can eat it from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to a place where he was lying down so she could watch and mix dough. Then she baked his favorite dish for him, but when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone get out of here, Amnon told the servants, so they all left. Then he said to Tamar, now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him, but as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. <laughs> this is right out of Kentucky. <laughs> no, my brother, she cried, don't be foolish, don't do this to me. Such wicked things aren't done in Israel. Where could I go in my shame, and you would be called one of the greatest fools in Israel? Please, just speak to the king about it, and he will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her, and since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. No, no, Tamar cried, sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. She was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days of the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head. And then with her face in her hands, she went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now since he's your brother. Don't you worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard what had happened, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Two years later, when Absalom's sheep were being sheared at Baal-Hazer near Ephraim, Absalom invited all the king's sons to come and feast. He went to the king and said, My sheep shears are now at work. Would the king and his servants please come to celebrate the occasion with me? The king replied, No, my son, if we all came, we would be too much of a burden on you. Absalom pressed, on, pressed him, but the king would not come, though he gave Absalom his blessing. Well then, Absalom said, If you can't come, how about sending brother Amnon with us? Why Amnon? the king asked. But Absalom kept on pressing the king until he finally agreed to let all his sons attend, including Amnon. So Absalom prepared a feast fit for a king. Absalom told his men, wait until Amnon gets drunk, then at my signal, kill him. Don't be afraid, I'm the one who has given the command. Take courage and do it. So at Absalom's signal, they murdered Amnon. Then the other sons of the king jumped on their mules and fled. As they were on their way back to Jerusalem, this report reached David. Absalom has killed all the king's sons. Not one is left alive. The king got up, tore his robe, and threw himself on the ground. His advisors also tore their clothes and 
horror and sorrow. But just then, Jonadab, the son of David's brother, Shemaiah, arrived and said, No, don't believe that all the king's sons have been killed. It was only Amnon. Absalom has been plotting this ever since Amnon raped his sister Tamar. No, my lord and king, your sons aren't all dead. It was only Amnon. Meanwhile, Absalom escaped. Then the watchman on the Jerusalem wall saw a great crowd coming down the hill on the road from the west. He ran to tell the king, I see a crowd of people coming from the Peronium road along the side of the hill. Look, Jonadab told the king, there they are now. The king's sons are coming, just as I said. They soon arrived, weeping and sobbing, and the king and all his servants wept bitterly with them. And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. Absalom fled to his grandfather, Talmai, son of Amuhid, the king of Geshur. He stayed there in Geshur for three years, and the king and King David, now reconciled to Amnon's death, longed to be reunited with his son Absalom. Thank you. Wow. What? This is in the Bible? Yikes. Rated R, I don't know. TVMA, I guess. What do you take from this? What is your reaction here? Gross. Gross. <laughs> Reactions. I was a little Gross. puzzled by Tamar's reaction. Yep. It wasn't, don't do this to me. It was, marry me. Ah. So it's like, it's not your time out. Let's talk about that. Who knows, who knows the answer to this? That's common in that era um, for you to marry. And it, yeah, it happened a lot. And it, it Half being, sibling, especially, yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. And being married, and then it was acceptable, no matter who you were to each other. But mm -hmm. that happened before she was married, then that mm -hmm. meant she couldn't marry anyone else, and she would live her life without protection from a man for the rest of her life. We have, my assistant will be teaching next week. Uh, you're coming back, Nick. Well, I'm not going to be here, so someone has to do it. Congratulations, you're hired. Um, look, our team is growing rapidly. Uh, th this is exactly right. Now, if you want to, if you want to look at the specifics of the Levitical law, um, this, is, this is forbidden. So you're not allowed to have relations with a half-sister, half-sibling, or full-sibling. Um, <clears throat> that is Leviticus 18.9. But... What happens if that does happen, and it did happen, and we know what happened in Genesis, for heaven's sakes. You, um, are, you are married to that person in God's eyes. They were married. When he slept with Tamar, they became <coughs> married in God's eyes. And God knows that this happens as the cultures of the period, and in fact, in the cultures surrounding Israel, this, was, this happened a lot. This was common. Um, you tended to you know, marry within your family group because that was your clan. Um, you were safe. Right? You kept it in the family. This is why kings all over the world for generations have tended to find you know, consorts or wives within their own family branch because it keeps the bloodline pure. Um, if, he were to, if, if you were to be raped or have relations consensually with that, that person, you were married and in God's eyes you were not allowed to divorce that person. In fact, um, if it happened it required marriage. That's Deuteronomy 22. If you rape a woman and she becomes your wife, you're not allowed to divorce her. Now remember, Moses, begrudgingly, allowed for the, the, the potential for divorce amongst the Israelites. And, and remember, Jesus makes a very famous case about this. He goes, you know what? It's not God's plan. God doesn't want divorce, but he accepts that it happens. And so because of the hardness of the hearts of the Israelites, he allowed Moses to grant a certificate of divorce. But if you... If you forcibly take a woman, you're not allowed to, to get divorced. And that's Exodus 22 and Deuteronomy 22. <clears throat> if you have relations with a man and you don't get divorced, exactly what Nicole says happens. Remember, folks, this is antiquity. There are very few rights for women <laughs> in antiquity, especially amongst the Canaanites. Um, what, what are the options for a woman in that society to support herself? None. I mean, it's less than zero, right? It, unless you come from money and you're some kind of aristocrat, which is very rare, of course. You really are kind of 
It's either burned. Prostitution or a beggar. That's it. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's it. Or your parents. Or you live with your parents or a family member, which yeah. is what ends up happening here. You have, you have basically ruined that person's life mm -hmm. because of the stigma, right? Now, the society is very big on honor, and of course we say honor. That doesn't sound like a very honorable thing. Well, it's kind of like, you know, she's been dishonored twice. Mm -hmm. Her brother dishonors her, and now, because of society's reactions, there's really no recompense for her, right? I want you to read, <laughs> after you're reading all of this, I want you to say to yourself, well, what the heck did David think of all of this when he found out? What does chapter 13, verse 21 say? When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. And? But Ab Ab Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad. For Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. And? After you know what I'm getting at here. And what? And David did what? No. Nothing. 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 <coughs> David did nothing. Oh, he got very angry. Yeah. <laughs> When's lunch? <laughs> What the heck is going on here? What could David have done? Well, that's the penalty. So tell us what that means, Rod. <coughs> You're going to draw your finger across your neck? That's, yeah. that's <laughs> Guardians the of the Galaxy. Of some, uh, uh, you know, uh, breaking is uh, yep. one of God's rules like that is death. You kill him. Yeah. So. What else could he have done? Could have had Amnon marry Tamara. Yes. Yes. Well, yeah, he could have he could have punished him. Absolutely. Could have punished him, could have killed him. <clears throat> he should have forced him to do what God said in the first place. All right, it happened. You're in big trouble. Now you got to marry her and take care of her the rest of your life. Knowing David, he could have taken her in himself. He could have done that. Into his house. Yeah. I wonder what uh, David would have done if like Tamar said, ask the king mm -hmm. if this is okay or that to take me as your to marry me, what would he have said? Now remember, this is the king's son. Yes. Right. <clears throat> and it does it sound like abs, does it sound like Amnon is a teenager <clears throat> at this point, or like young, very young? I don't know. It doesn't. It doesn't say how old he is. I get the impression that he's not fourteen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get the impression that. Absalom, just a couple years later, is leading efforts, you know, out into the wilderness to have the sheep sheared, to have this festival. So that means his younger brother is old enough to kind of organize the <coughs> army and to organize the sons of David to go out and to do, you know, to do activities and drills. That means that he's not an, a young guy. So if his younger brother's not young, that means Amnon isn't a young guy. That means he's old enough to know better. <laughs> he's old enough to know better here. Let's talk about the sons of David real quick, because this is really important. I've drawn them, written them, in the order that we understand from the Old Testament, their birth order. Who is the oldest son of David? Well, I thought it was Solomon. That's weird. Oh, wait, he's down here. He's way down. It's like 10, 11, depending on how you count. Amnon is the oldest son. What does that mean? He should be in line for the throne. This is a huge one, folks. It's not like kid number eight did this. Or kid number, and I think, how many do we have? I think we have like 14, 15. I mean, it's not like kid 14 did this. This is number one son. Which is probably why David hesitated to do anything. Yeah. So now we see it, right? The first son get the, get the, uh, the blessing. Mm -hmm. or he gets the blessing, and, and, and if he's older at this point, you know, the people know him. You better believe the Israelites know him. Certainly the court of the king know him. Who do they all think is coming next in line? So, so here we have this guy who basically has a huge amount of favor, both with the people and with the king, obviously. <coughs> and he's done this very egregious thing. Now you get all these human complications that come into this. I just asked you a minute ago, what could, what could David have done? <clears throat> and and we, we listed a whole lot of things that make total sense. He did none of them. He did none of them. What was the end result here to Tamar? She, was a destitute woman. Which means what? Basically, she was reliant on her brother for everything. And what? Never married. She never married. And what else? Probably. This, this woman's life was ruined. 
and David had the power to restore her, and he didn't. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be blunt about this. Tell me I'm wrong. David could have done a lot of things here, and he didn't. Um, this is a huge black mark. What, what's happening here? If we go back a few chapters, well, maybe just a couple, to David and Bathsheba, what did Nathan the prophet say to David? It was going to happen because of David's infidelity. <clears throat> what did he say? He's going to die. <clears throat> say it. They'd be, his sons would be killed. <clears throat> David's sins had lasting repercussions. Who is hurt by your sin? Who is hurt by your sin? <clears throat> Me, you, my kids. So, so this whole thing that there's a victimless crime, right? We love to say, oh, it's a victimless crime. Lying, I lied, I told a little white lie. Oh, we know that's not true in David's <clears throat> case. A little white lie led to the slaughter of thousands of people decades in the past. Your sins have repercussions no matter what they are to those around you. Does that mean that when God forgives you, those repercussions go away? Folks, you've got to make this very clear. You are disciples of Jesus. You have to make this clear to people who you work with, you talk to, who you're trying to disciple, is that it's all well and good. David was forgiven by God for his acts with Bathsheba. Did that mean that there wouldn't still be a price to pay on earth for that? It happens. It happens. There was still a, Now, it doesn't always mean that's the case. It doesn't always mean. Forgiveness does not necessarily mean that the record books on earth are wiped clean, because why? Why would God allow the repercussions to continue? This is a good one. Builds character. Yeah. Builds character in who? You. It builds your faith. Your faith? Yeah. I like this answer. Increases our reliance on God. Oh, okay. <clears throat> that leads to building character. Increase. What else? I've told you, I, I make this point. Your life on earth is training for what? Heaven. Heaven. Eternity. Your time on earth, as hard as it is, is training for eternity. God is preparing you as a disciple of Jesus for your eternal kingdom, the life that you're going to lead after this temporary fleshly body dies and is resurrected. Um, <clears throat> I like what Ned said. It's building character. I'm going to add to that if that's okay. This is training. It is, you know, I also say this, the sharpest swords are forged in the hottest you can't be a sharp sword without forging. What do you do when you forge? And I've showed some of you when I, I did this for the first time over Christmas break. I, I had this red hot piece of steel and I'm pounding away on that thing to shape it into a knife, right? It was brutal. It was brutal for me. Forget the steel. I feel sorry for the steel. I pounded the heck out of it. But I made it into a knife. I made it into something. I took something raw. A raw piece of, it was just basically a rectangular piece of steel. It, it had no value. And I, and I worked on that all day with my, my brother-in-law and my father-in-law until we got it into basically a Bowie knife. And it's ready. And it had a handle and it had the, the blade. And with a little bit of finishing and, and you know, grinding and polishing, it would be, and, and with a handle attached, it would be a great weapon, a great tool. God is building you into something great for the future, for eternity. But that, <laughs> our, our choices are the things that sometimes lead to that grinding and pounding and beating into shape. There may be uh, the nature of Amnon's sins being similar, I guess, to David's sin. Mm. Gave David pause for punishment as well. He saw a little bit of himself in Amnon. <coughs> and maybe, <coughs> maybe he felt a hypocrite if he yep. would do something about it. I love this. Yeah. I love it. It's amazing... I think about my life and what the blessing that I'll forego for a bowl of soup or a mm -hmm. you know sexual encounter or mm -hmm. I mean I'm referring to Esau. And yeah. It's and it's, it seems very typical for these kings, judges, whatever that their kids are wreck. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. kind of sad, really. I mean, if you look at the history of the kings of Israel and Judah, that will come here. 
Uh, a lot of their kids are just messed up, dude. Even the really good ones, like Hezekiah, Josiah, their kids were Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was probably one of the greatest kings in the history of Judah. Manasseh, absolutely and far away, was the worst king of Israel or Judah. And the Bible even says that. He was the worst one of all of them. How does that happen? Being a great leader doesn't mean you're a great father this or is husband. Great. Yeah. So the skills that they might have as a military leader are completely separate than the skills needed to raise a family. Yeah. Yeah. I think the same thing happened like to men all across the world every day. Like it's sometimes you put your job and stuff before the family. Yeah. You try to set yourself up, you try to set this family up in a position, <laughs> but meanwhile you missing the time that of growing with the family or, you know, just things of that nature, but I feel like we go through the same thing today. Like we pay attention to jobs and work and neglect kids. Neglect kids sometimes. Like you can't be there every time, mentally, physically. Nick, I'm I, I'm doing this for my kids. I, I'm yeah. working, you know, twenty hours a day, traveling the world, so I don't see my kids every day. Mm-hmm. So I don't see my kids every week. Yeah. So I don't see my kids every month. But it's for them, Nick. No, it's for them, but it's No, I'm, so I'm being like, facetious here. I'm being facetious. Right. It's for them. So they, like, want, you know. they want a five-room house. You don't understand. They, yeah. they want a pool. They want me to drive a Mercedes, Nick. Yeah. I know it. I know it. They want it. It's you really right. for them. So <laughs> Jesus. Jesus wants you in that Mercedes. Okay, that's a different conversation. <laughs> it's, a lot easier to, it's a lot easier to go to work. and I mean, it, for me, for example, I'm, I do construction. And every day I get to walk away and go, look at that that mm-hmm. I did, right? Mm-hmm. Look, at, look at my achievements of today. Where with my kids, you know, two days ago, I get a text from my ex-wife, this little deal that Kenna has written, you know, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transsexual, pansexual, all on this board. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm like, but look at my, you know, beautiful construction project I just did. You know, I'm like, what? Yep. Where am I in this, mm-hmm. you know? It's easy to go to work and do that. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, wait a minute. What's, what am I doing with my kids? Yeah. Is that my fault? Not necessarily. Should I hang my head in shame and go do nothing because I'm embarrassed by it like David did? Mm. Or do I need to go? I don't care if there's an inch of snow on the ground. Get your butt to church this morning. Call yep. you, tell your mom. She made a commitment that she's going to be here. You know, and that's mm-hmm. the start of it, right? I mean, for me, that's... The importance of being here where, where I can indoctrinate her into a better life, yeah. so to speak. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, man, I haven't protected my child. I'm, pr- mm-hmm. I'm going to add this. Take action. Don't let problems fester. Like you say, get your butt to church. I don't care. And then, But it's also for you. It's yeah. like, well, maybe I need to spend time, too. Now yeah. I get to go after church and go, okay, that's that's, hey, I love you anyway. Yeah. You know, what the heck are you doing? But, man, I love you. you know? Ned, did you have a comment? Yeah. I just experienced this yesterday. Mm-hmm. I broke down crying yesterday because, um, you know, I was a nonprofit and everything. And then um, my godfather's a pastor, and he was talking about how I told him, like, God's leading me to help those kids. And he's like, you got to help your own kids. Yep. God, this, that, the third. But I was telling him, like, you know, what I am doing, it will set things up for my kids. God's allowing like God is touching my, my parents and them to, to help help me out as I do kingdom work right now. And yep. it was just stuff like I don't know I don't know what I felt because I already had confessed before mm-hmm. that I'm not in my kids' life, but my kids are already in Chicago. I'm all the way out here. You you are, are mentioning something that is so key to what we're talking about today. In fact, this mm-hmm. is the whole point. <clears throat> And I made this comment after the election, <laughs> and I, I'm not going to talk about politics too much. Um, I made this point. You have a responsibility. So one of the th- back up. One of the things that I struggle with is what does success look like for this this class, right? Is it the number of people that are impacted by it? Um, and, and numbers is a big deal, right? And so if I'm a mega pastor today, and, and I might be looking at the sheet and saying, well, I know I'm successful because I have this many thousands of people coming every week and we're making this many millions of dollars a year, it's easy to fall into that trap. Meanwhile, what's happening to your own children? 
okay? There is a balance to be paid for your effort, right? And I, and I, kind, of, I kind of said this at the very beginning. As soon as I was praying to God about all of this, he made it very clear to me. And again, he does speak. If you listen, he is telling you something. He told me very clearly, Brian, I don't give a rip about the number of people in your class, how much money Pathway is making, um, how big your church building is. I care about what you're doing for your circle of influence. And he said, it's like an onion. What is an onion like? Rings. Layers. Okay, It's like a bullseye. At the very center of this bullseye, your effort, your work, should be concentrated in the middle of this bullseye with the concentric rings, the further they get out is less and less time and effort and money, right? You only have 24 hours in the day. Your time, the amount of time you've spent on something is an indication of how much value you put into it and how much effort you're putting into it. Well, uh, there is no free lunch. The more effort you put into something, the more it's going to prosper in general, right? Um, If I work harder at my job, I'll tend to make more money and get promoted in general. Um, Or what should be in the middle of this? And and we can fill this out. Who should be at the very center of your life onion? God. (laughs) See, you got it. Who should be in the second ring of this? Folks, (laughs) Folks, <laughs> Emily, who should be in the third ring? I'd like to throw yep. self in there somewhere. Okay. Um, <clears throat> where would you put it? I would put it, I'll, I'm sorry, go ahead. Love, I mean, love others as you love yourself. Okay. So I have to love, if I wanted to give everybody a million dollars, I have to have a million dollars to give. If I want okay. to give love, I got to have it. Exactly. If I can't. Thank you. The little ring right there next to God. So. Okay. That fair? No. You skipped a ring, Brian. You went from (laughs) in your lines. (laughs) But that's okay. So family. So I can't see. I don't know. Are these working? You know, you putting your your love and effort into God and Jesus is your self. Is is yourself. That makes sense too. I love this class. (laughs) (laughs) So that's just my opinion of it. Okay. Then what? Yeah, I think if you're focused on God and focused on yep. others, you are building yourself. Well, let's be honest, folks. If yeah, you're reading true. your Bible every day and you're praying, who is that benefiting the most? You. God doesn't need you to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. God doesn't need your money. Look, maybe that just meant that we're going to get nothing today in the, in the offering <laughs> box. God doesn't need your money. Who needs you to sacrifice your money? You and do. to Damn. <laughs> True. The broken plow truck. As, as we all you know, walked through four inches of snow. Um, it's you who benefits from saying, I'm taking a leap of faith to give God 10% or more of my income. It's not God, folks. He doesn't need it. He made it. Mm-hmm. He made the gold of the universe. He doesn't need more. What comes after your family and yourself? Word. I think you could put your job Aspiration. Did I hear at work and aspiration? Who else is on this list? Your neighbors. Church. Neighbors. I I would argue, look, there's no right or wrong answer here. This is kind of my, you know, it's my life onion. I I would say this is your your Christian brothers and sisters. Um, You need each other. We need each other. That's why we have this class. That's why you should be in a small group. That's why you should be going um, to, you know, look, you're not going to church for Jerry Falwell, folks. You're not going for Billy Graham. You're not going for Joel Osteen. Who are you going for? You. And? Your brother. You were never meant to walk this walk alone. You weren't. Where in the New Testament or the Old Testament is your walk with God supposed to be a lonely one? Even in Genesis, in the second chapter, God made... Man, and then he immediately made who? A companion. You were not meant to be alone here. Now, I've, I've beat that to death. Then who? I can't get away. I would say your community and people that are around you. <coughs> community, work, um, you know, you put your effort into things, you, you know, that are kind of frivolous, maybe hobbies, whatever. Maybe you want to write that great novel. Maybe you want to, you know, climb Machu Picchu. I don't know. I, I certainly want to go back to Belgium someday. I, I'm not going to say what the right order is, but I'll say, folks, 
if you have 24 hours in the day, the least amount should be spent on these things to, uh, to a certain degree and probably more of these. Um, I might even say that this is next, your community. And then I would say the rest of this comes next. Um, once these are satisfied, you need to reach out to your neighbors. You need to be feeding the poor. You need to be <coughs> plowing your neighbor's driveway. <laughs> I was a, you know, I, I'm not tooting my own horn here, but I have a snowblower. It, it's amazing. It's an amazing snowblower. It snowed really bad this week. And I know that both of my neighbors, one of them was having a birthday and he had to go to work and he didn't have time to plow his driveway. And my other neighbors are young and they've had some health problems and, and um, they, they don't get out and they can't, they can't shovel very often. So I did three driveways that morning. Um, and I was kind of, you know, I drank my coffee. <laughs> and I, had, I had a little breakfast and I was like, yeah, I can do this, right? And I went in, I paid for it later. Uh, but uh, I was talking to a friend of mine on, on one of our meetings and he's like, well, uh, what happened this morning? I said, well, you know, I, I plowed three driveways and I'm pretty exhausted right now. And he goes, oh, you, you must be very rich because you must own three properties. <laughs> and I said, well, I am a slumlord, but that's a, that's a, that's a separate thing. Um, your, your, your community needs to benefit from you. You need to help them. Um, we can stop real easily right after the Christian brothers and sisters part and get real comfortable right here. Hey, mm -hmm. we can start. We can stop by putting this in the middle and was, stopping there. I was going to say, what, <laughs> yeah. what's even more important is what happens if you're not doing it in those orders? What yes. happens if suddenly mm -hmm. your family is the center or Christian brothers <coughs> and sisters are the center or the community is the center or your outreach is the center or you're doing mm -hmm. those things on the outside without doing the things on the inside? Second yeah. Samuel 13 happens. <laughs> Seriously. Ser this, is, this is exactly why we're talking about this. Folks. I mean, but that's the struggle of the world today is that, you know, when you talk about you have 24 hours in a day, well, if 8 to 10 of those are spent at work, which, I mean, we all need to have income. I mean, I, you know. Yeah. It, it's just uh, it's a struggle it's a struggle for yeah. all of us as we try to balance all of that with um, okay so if you you know you need to put your eight hours in yeah. and, and you know do a good job there but then what do you do with the other 12 well yep. let's say eight another eight are sleeping and or 16 so another eight are sleeping so you now sleep? you have eight hours how selfish <laughs> what's wrong with you yeah. What? Well, I mean, you know, so then it's like, okay, now I really only have like eight hours or maybe it's only four hours to, to, to do these other things. Oh. It's important to you balance that out. all in one day. Yep. Yeah. That's it. What if your work is helping all these other people? Yes! <laughs> like, what there if you go. yeah. you're going to be a yeah. doctor? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Not speaking about anyone well, else, but. Yeah. Or, so, yeah. So, uh, so this is my comment here. That, that, is, that is right, and just because you're not a physician or a farmer doesn't mean you're non-essential and it's not right. What I'm getting at here sure. is where is, your, where is your focus in life, right? And this isn't just time. Yes, you have to work. Yeah. By working, you're supporting your family. You are hopefully honoring God. And the other thing to remember is these are not self-exclusive either. That's right. Okay, you need to remember, and I think that's what Nicole is kind of getting at here. Just because I have a job doesn't mean that God is not a part of that. I, it's become very clear to me, the role I have at my company, I feel, is God is using me as a way to share Christ with others. And, and just in the past week, I've, I've sent a couple of messages to some coworkers who are struggling with some very serious issues about praying for them. And that God loves them. Look, just because, just because you're going to urban air with your family doesn't mean you're not doing this part. Yeah. When, you're going, when you're spending time with your family at urban air, it's telling your kids that they matter more then your Mercedes matters. When you're spending time with your Christian brothers and sisters, that's telling them that they matter more than your fishing hobby or whatever, right? So it's not, don't get too caught up, you know, in, in calculating the hours here. Um, but it gets at this thing about, well, you know. No, that, and that's, yeah, that's exactly what we all need to remember is they, they aren't mutually exclusive. Maybe it's more about when something happens in your life that causes a reset, like chapter 13, we suddenly need to look at our life onion again. Wait a minute. Maybe my priorities are out of whack. 
David could have done, and like I can be a hypocrite all day and say, oh, David should have done all of this. But I would say that was a, that was a great moment for David to say, what's more important to me, David? Maintaining my great lineage, right? Through my oldest son, Amnon, and, and not having a blemish on our house and looking great and, and, and focusing on being king. Or should I like step in here for my niece, right? Um, half daughter, half niece. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the family trees are kind of like... It's a pool. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's all we're getting at there. Not to beat it too much one, into the ground. One thing I notice is not on there is arguing over who should be or is the leader. And, and, I, and I say that not in a cynical manner, but to say yep. it doesn't matter who's in power. <clears throat> That Earthly this, standpoint. This doesn't change. Mm -hmm. Well, it gets back to the <clears throat> what I brought up before, Brian, was the uh, joy principle, right? Jesus yeah. and others and yourself. I love this. And the biggest problem is most of the time we focus on ourselves and we get things out of whack. We go, well, hold on. If I, if I give up this, yep. then, but you know what? You focus on God yep. is your first responsibility. Then on others, your needs will will change. Yep, that's it. I don't have to have that. I love that. And uh, that's what we're doing. Look, I, folks, I would love to drive an Infiniti. I, I, so when I lived in California, I, had, I bought a used Infiniti J30. It was the best car I've ever had in my entire life. Leather seats, powerful engine, really sporty, uh, four-door, had a sunroof, beautiful color, joy. could zip in and out of traffic in LA, right? Smell joy. I'm sorry. Isn't that weird? Yeah. yeah. That's where the joy comes from. What? I love when the lights come on. <laughs> but but here's my thing. When I moved to Iowa, that's the wrong car for Iowa. I, I didn't need that car. I got a Corolla. Folks, I would love to have another Infinity. Don't get me wrong. Um, they come in always right, Brian. <laughs> no, don't be no. a tempter. <laughs> I was just thinking this morning, if I had driven it to, to church, I would definitely be in the ditch. But, uh, but that's my point. Look, um, I'm okay with a Corolla. I don't care. So I drive a, a little car. I don't know. <laughs> it's about to be my daughter's. Uh, I, you just have to... Now, I'm not saying you're a jerk if you don't. I'm just saying, you know... And the other thing I'll say here is I can be a great hypocrite about this, and then I can live exactly the opposite. So don't get me wrong here. I'm, this isn't like I'm always like this. I have to admit, you know, my hobbies... They tend to take a big part of my life. I love gardening. I love, um, you know, target shooting. Um, I love reading. I love video games. Those can take a lot of my time. And then I can get out of whack, right? With, wait a minute, I need to kind of get this back. So let's, uh, I don't want to get behind too far. Let's read chapter 14. We're going to see where this leads. Chapter 14 is kind of what's, what's going to happen as the fallout from all of this. 1 to 33. Who can read that for me? I can. Thank you, sir. No problem. Now, Joab, the son of knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, Pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but behave like a woman who has been mourning many days for the dead. Go to the king and speak thus to him. So Joab put the words in her mouth. When the woman of Tekoa came to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and paid homage and said, Save me, O king. And the king said to her, What is your trouble? She answered, Alice, I am a widow. My husband is dead. And your servant had two sons, and they crawled with one another in the field. There was no one to separate them, and one stuck the other and killed him. And now the whole clan has risen against your servant. And they say, Give up the man who struck his brother, that we may put him to death for the life of his brother whom he killed. And so they would destroy their, the, the here also. Thus they would quench my coal that is left and leave to my husband neither came nor remnant on the face of the other earth 
Then the king said to the woman, Go to your house, and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, On me be the guilt, my lord the king, and on my father's house. Let the king and his throne be guiltless. The king said, If anyone says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall never touch you again. Then, he, then she said, Please let the king invoke the Lord your God, that the avenger of blood kill no more, and my son be not destroyed. He said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Then the woman said, Please let your servant speak a word to my lord the king. He said, Speak. And the woman said, Why then have you planned such a thing against the people of God? For in giving this decision, the king, convic the king convicts himself, inasmuch as the king does not bring his banished one home again. We must all die. We are like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. But God will not take away, and he devises means so that the banished one will not remain an outcast. Now I have come to say this to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid, and your servants thought, I will speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his servant, for the king will hear and deliver his servant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the heritage of God. And your servants thought, the word of my lord, the king, will set me at rest. For my lord, the king, is like the angel of God to discern good and evil. The Lord your God will be with you. Then the king answered the woman, Do not hide from me anything I ask you. And the woman said, Let my lord, the king, speak. The king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? The woman answered and said, As surely as you live, my lord, the king, one cannot turn to the right hand or the left. From anything that my lord the king has said, it was your servant Joab who commanded me. It was he who put all these words in the mouth of your servant. In order to change the course of things, your servant Joab did this. But my lord has wisdom like the wisdom of the angel, angel of God to know all things that are on the earth. Then the king said to Joab, Behold now, I grant this. Go, bring back the young man Absalom. And Joab fell on his face to the ground and paid homage and blessed the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord the king, and that the king has granted the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him dwell part apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. So Absalom lived apart in his own house and did not come into the king's presence. Now in all Israel, there was no one so much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head, for at the end of every year he used to cut it, when it was heavy on him, he cut it. He weighed the hair, <coughs> he weighed the hair of his head, 200 shekels by the king's weight. There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a beautiful woman. So Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem without coming into the king's presence. Then Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but Joab would not come to him. And he sent the second time, but Joab would not come. Then he said to his servants, See, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barely there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab arose and went to, the, went to Absalom at his house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom answered Joab, Behold, I sent word to you. Come here that I may send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me to be there still. Now therefore let me go into the presence of the king. If there is guilt in me, let him put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself, his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. Wow. <clears throat> what do you think? Reactions? It's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. Who if Amnon... Now, I want to just make this quick thing. Hiliab 
the son of Abigail, remember Abigail is the widow who, uh, who David marries, we don't ever hear from him again. So it's probable that he's dead, that he may have died as an infant or as a child. So we can presume that Kiliab is off the table. Who is next in line to lead if Amnon is dead? Absolutely. So we, we see here now the power struggle that is inevitably going to play out. Each one of these men has a different mom. <laughs> Each one of these people has a different reason to want to take what David has built and God has helped him build. A great kingdom. Wealthy, stable, they have a bureaucracy. If you caught it here, the shekels, that's the king's weight. For the first time in Israel's history, they have a standard of measurement for money. You know, that may not seem like a big deal to you, but it's a huge deal to an economy. Now you can have a stable functioning economy because everyone is using the same kind of counts of money and, and trade to do their business. And you can rest assured that in general, a chicken will cost the same in, in this village as that village. It makes things a lot easier. <clears throat> Absalom is totally on the path to what here? King destruction. Yeah. He's out of control yep. and David's not doing anything to keep him under control. I mean, look at it. He set the guy's field on fire. Um, Dude, what a jerk him. move. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, that was probably a big deal. Yeah. Well, that's his livelihood. But that's my money going up in smoke there. My, my you know, I've got to pay for, you know, my food and my house. What else? He might have been a little conceited. Didn't he weigh his hair? What is the narrative leading up to? What's going to happen to Absalom later? And we're, we're jumping ahead. Yeah, how? How, do, how does Absalom die? Didn't he run into a tree? And what did he get caught in that tree? I think the, the, the author is trying to lead that to you. Like say, there's a reason why he got caught with his hair in a tree. Because it's so big and beautiful. Luxury. He uses Pantene every morning. I don't know. <laughs> Fabio, Fabio of the Bible. That's kind of it, right? Where, see, us old people would get that. Yeah. I'm glad you... Nicole has no idea who Fabio is. <laughs> what else? Trisha still has a poster. It's just turmoil. It's turmoil. There's people trying to warn people and yeah. people not getting it. And yep, 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 yep. Seems like they went to a lot of trouble just to like give a message when he could have just came there and been like, yeah. I'm sorry, take me back. Mm -hmm. But instead he was like, this person did this, this person did this, and then set it on fire. Oh my gosh, it's like middle school, right? It's it like, I want you to get my friend this note, right? It's like, come on, dude, just deal with it. And it was years. Everybody fears David. <coughs> yep. it, you know, for two reasons. One, because he's military, legal, <coughs> powerful in that way, and he'll just have, he'll just have to kill. <coughs> or the other, he's not going to stick up for you either. It's kind of it. And so what are we now seeing the, the beginnings of? So we have David, and then we have everyone else. And if you look here, I mean, if you read about Joab, folks, uh, Joab is a huge player in 2 Samuel. He, th there's a lot left for Joab to do behind the scenes, in front of David. There, there's conspiracies. There's uh, intrigue. There's turmoil. It's all going on because David is just not doing what he should be. And that sh is, he should be taking care of this once and for all. It's interesting how David... Well, he's on, when he's on the throne making yep. decisions, his decisions are wise. Mm -hmm. he's, made, he's reading situations mm -hmm. and applying wisdom, but he can't turn around and do it in his yeah. own life. This is very insightful. Very insightful. So what is the application for us? Joy. Joy. Nice. What else? Is that song? Teach your children what? <laughs> yeah, and you know, David seems kind of like he's a hand off, hands-off father. I mean, he's yep. not actually, you know, involved in his family, which you can see as many wives as he has. I mean, you know, I, I think that is part of his downfall as well. So. Ah, okay. Yep, 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 yep. 
Uh, I'll put words in your mouth. Maybe avoid. <laughs> Many wives. <laughs> avoid sin. Well, I'm going to say, avoid sin. Why? Uh, look, the temptation isn't the sin. The sin is the acting on the, on the temptation. And when you act, be prepared. You may have rationalized in your mind, if I don't quite report our financial you know, status to my company's, uh, you know, accountants, maybe that's not such a big deal. I'll get a better bonus. Well, okay, look, that was a stupid example. Uh, Not that I've ever done that. Um, Avoid it. Why? There's repercussions. Lying, cheating, hating. Avoiding this. Not doing this. Not putting God first in your life is a sin. I hate to say it, but... I think think recognizing that I'm not capable of handling anything without God, without the Spirit, without wisdom... I, I'm just going to go my own. Yeah, that seems good for today. That's, that's how I'll handle it today. And, you know, not thinking about what that means tomorrow or... Yeah. I'm not going to dwell on the negative because I like to end on something like this. And that is, when things were going well with David, he was going constantly to God in prayer and asking what God wanted him to do. And I hate to say it, folks, I'm seeing less and less yellow. <laughs> uh, I usually, you know... I mark God's words with the yellow. You know, I'm kind of one of those people because I want to know when God is speaking. That's the truth. Uh, there was a lot of it in the beginning, okay? In the, in the first part of 2 Samuel, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of God. Why? Because David is asking him for direction. Guess what? For the next few chapters, as we go through, okay, no, 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 no. Where is God in all of this? It's a lot easier when you're on your way up. Gosh, it is. Yeah. To rely on God. Because yes. then when you get there, you're like, I got this. And then you go, I mean, I've experienced that many times in yeah. my own life. When I'm in desperate yeah. need, man, it's so much better. It seems like it's there's more, you know, struggle, I guess. Going. And then I'm more right. reliant. And then all of a sudden, I've got it all together, and yeah. I'm like, I don't need him anymore. So David's life is kind of like a microcosm of Israel in itself. Yeah. When Israel is successful, mm-hmm. they they lose interest in God and follow their own ways, and then they dive back down. Gosh, it's so good. And it's they right. have to be, you know, humbled again to realize that hey, you know, God is who gave us all of this. That's it. Mm-hmm. We're taking That's advantage it. of him. And, I love that. I want to. I want to end, so first of all, no class next week because I won't be in town, so you get a week off. Um, hey, if you self-organized next week and had a Bible study, that would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that I'm, you know. We'll just call you. You're so good. You know what? We'll Zoom call. Zoom call. I will consider that. I will consider that. I want to leave you today with something that, that was that convicted me this week, and I know we're kind of out of time here. Um, we make a lot about this idea that God desires a relationship with you. And the whole reason that Jesus came to this planet was not to convict or to rebuke. It was to say Jesus is the mediator that allows us to have a relationship with God the Father. He allows that bridge between us, a sinful person, and God who is perfect to allow us to have communion or fellowship with God. I was thinking a lot this week about what that means. And I was thinking to myself, Maybe I've been approaching all of this relationship thing wrong. It's not just about me telling God a bunch of stuff that I need. And it's not just about waiting to hear God for whatever he wants me to do with my life. It's as much about just telling God who I am because that's what God wants. Remember, God created you because he wanted to have a relationship with you and know you. He created the universe and he created man in his own image so that he could have the pleasure of getting to know Steve Cruz. Steve, I created you. I want to know who you are. What are your likes and dislikes? What are, what are the things that you enjoy? What are the things you hate? Now, what you shouldn't do is just go into this thinking, well, God already knows all of this. Yeah, he kind of does, but that's not the point. He wants you to come to him to tell him that. I already know everything about my kids. I mean, my younger kids anyway. Uh, Their likes and dislikes. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't want them to talk to me. Does that mean that I never talk to my 11-year-old? Of course. I want her to tell me about her day. And and listen, so this is is your homework that I want you all to do. I want you to do speed dating with God. (laughs) Speed dating? Speed dating with God. Now, that sounds weird, but this is what I want you to do. When you are in your normal, quiet time every morning, which I know you're doing, praying, I want you to do this. I want you to pretend 
that you are meeting the creator of the universe for the first time. And I want you to tell God your name, where you come from, who your parents are, what you do for a living, what are your likes, what are your dislikes, what are the things that you hope to get out of life, what are your goals, what are the things you're struggling with. I want you to literally treat it like you are meeting someone for the first time and explaining your life to them. When I did that this week, it was a revelation because I started to realize this is why God has a relationship. He wants to know me. He wants to know me. And I want to know him. So I tell him all of these things and then I listen, you know, and I pray. I want you to try that this week. I know it sounds corny, but just give it a try and see what happens. You might be surprised how you feel after it's all over. All right. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you in two weeks.